Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, May 18th, 2012. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, I warned you, I was thinking about reviewing a movie sermon. (laughs) And so I will be. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically help you to think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Now, one of the techniques that people use when they mishandle God's Word, especially from the pulpit, is that they allegorize things and read themselves into the text. Uh, We call it narcissistic eisegesis. There's a particular technique, and you know, it, it goes something like this. You know, David walked onto the battlefield, and there was Goliath, and he picked up five smooth stones. And with only a slingshot and five smooth stones, he was able to slay the giant Goliath. So what's the giant in your life that needs slaying? Apply these five principles. They're like five smooth stones, and when you do that, then you can conquer the Goliaths in your life. Yet we've all heard that sermon. I mean, it's a standard mishandling of the text. And the Bible was not meant to be read that way. And what's really funny is is a while ago, somebody had sent me the link to um, the El Wapo speech from the movie The Three Amigos. And I remember when this movie came out. I don't think they could shoot a movie like this today. But anyway... Uh, Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Chevy Chase. Just a hilarious movie. And and so it's been a while since this person, I can't even remember who did it, You know, actually sent me the link on uh, my Facebook wall and uh, said that I really need to take a look at the uh, Three Amigos El Wapo speech. You know, I I really haven't seen the movie since it, you know, it came out on television the first time after it was being released in the movies. In other words, long time ago. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't even calculate the year. So I, I, uh, it wasn't fresh in my mind. And so I went back today 
and, and uh, something triggered my memory. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that. I I intended to you know to discuss that because I it was in my notes as something worth passing along, and uh, so and so it is, and so I've come to the conclusion that back in the 1980s. Uh, when uh, Chevy Chase, Martin Short, and Steve Martin uh, put together this movie, The Three Amigos, that in it is the very, very first seeker-driven sermon. In fact, I, I almost think that it's kind of a hybrid between, uh, you know, like a Rick Warren-type uh, sermon uh, to, you know, maybe even a Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick-type mishandling and it it engages it uses the technique of allegorization so without any further ado what i'd like to do for you right now for your listening pleasure is a play for you the el wapo speech from the movie the three amigos see if this sounds like a seeker driven sermon to you Apparently they just rescued the girl, but El Wapo's on his way. El Guapo's on his way. Someday the people of this village will have to face El Wapo. We might as well do it now. In a way, all of us have an El Guapo to face someday. For some, shyness might be their El Guapo. For others, a lack of education might be their El Guapo. For us... El Guapo is a big dangerous guy who wants to kill us. But as sure as my name is Lucky Day, the people of Santa Poco can conquer their own personal El Guapo, who also happens to be the actual El Guapo. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, can, can you imagine, you know, you know David, uh, you know, King David, before he's uh, he's actually, you know, reigning as king in Israel, you know, he's sitting there going, you know, what, can you imagine him giving this speech to the, the armies of Israel? What is, what is the Goliath in your life? I mean, is it shyness? Is, is it, do you have a financial Goliath? I mean, but as for me, I've got to go fight the real guy, you know. <laughs> we want to defend ourselves, but how? By using the skills and the talents of the people of Santa Poco. Right. What's your shape? This is, see, this is perfect purpose-driven theology. This is not a town of weaklings. You can turn your skills against El Guapo. Right. You you were made for, with a purpose. You're a unique individual. God created you with a unique purpose in life. Use the skills, the shape that you've been created in to defeat the El Wapo in your life. In their case, it just happens to be the real El Wapo. But... Now, what is it that this town really does well? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We can sew. There you go. You can sew. Ah. If only we had known this earlier. Ned, Dusty. Sewing. Remember our film, Amigos, Amigos, Amigos? Yes. Remember what we did in that movie? Gee, do you think it could work? It's got to work. It's our only hope. <laughs> now, if you haven't seen... The Three Amigos in a while. I won't spoil it for you. No spoilers here at Fighting for the Faith. So that's just a teaser there. 
And and what an appropriate teaser to start off today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, uh, because, well, in hour number two today, we will be kicking off uh, this year's movie preaching season with <laughs> with a sermon based on the movie Captain America. So, you know, it, there's, I mean, this is just a blockbuster edition of Fighting for the Faith. I mean, so, you know, grab some popcorn along with your fuzzy bunny slippers. <laughs> today's edition of fighting but the anyway the point here is this is that you can see it right there in the three amigos the allegorization of a real danger you know you know maybe maybe shyness is your el wapo maybe you're scared of heights that's your el wapo so we can defeat your el wapo using your specific shape that god the your the purpose that god has placed you in you can conquer your el wapo it just so happens that the People of that town, they were really into sewing, and they were able to defeat their El Wapo, who happened to be the real El Wapo, with their sewing skills. <sighs> Man, I mean, this is that's the that's the template for the average seeker-driven mishandling of God's word. So, anyway, worth passing along. So I just thought I would do that. So let's talk about what we're going to do for the rest of today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know. It's been a while since we've had an update, you know, from the Swift Fire <clears throat> um, Ministry um, and Charnel, and so we're going to be uh, listening. We're going to be tuning in to a, a recent video posted by Charnel of Swift Fire Ministry. Remember, she did the frequency thing not too long ago, and uh, she's going to be talking about uh, healing slash raindrop therapy, healing slash raindrop therapy. I have no idea what this has to do with Christianity. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat at a loss here to uh, describe to you what it is that I saw earlier, but felt, you know, since I've promised that uh, we would be doing swift fire updates in the future that, uh, well, we have to come back and do a swift fire update. So uh, we're going to do that today. I've got, <laughs> I've got a, T.D. Jakes update. Uh, he's recently, you know, f finished his pastor and pastors and leadership conference down there in Florida, you know, where he had Joel Osteen and uh, assorted other heretics coming and speaking at his leadership conference. Well, the name of the video, uh, this is kind of a summary video, uh, includes some of the <clears throat> teaching of T.D. Jakes at his pastors and leadership conference there. Um, and the name of it is When Power meets potential. I think it's a, this is kind of like uh the empowerment gospel's version of when Harry met Sally. I'm not exactly sure if that works, but you know, again, try to keep in mind I'm trying to work off of a movie theme here, which kind of, you know, leads to this question. Um don't you find it kind of silly? I mean, personally, I mean, it's really sad when, you know, an adult male still lives at home. You know, they, they talk about guys who never quite grow up, kind of Peter Pan syndrome, man-boy type thing. Um, don't you find it odd that um, so much of the church nowadays is, um, they're like juvenile man-boys? Yeah, just, you know, something I've noticed, you know, weird as to what's going on there. So, and then, uh, and then y yesterday I, I wanted to get to this, but I didn't get to it. I've got a Kevin DeYoung piece and the name of the uh, piece is, if we believe all the same things, why do our churches seem so different? Which I think is a uh, fantastic question to be asking. 
and uh, it's kind of a long piece that uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote there. So that we're gonna that'll round out the first hour for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. So I recommend you know it because we're gonna be doing a movie sermon. You you might want to grab some popcorn. Um, again, fuzzy bunny slippers they do enhance your listener experience, and of course, um. If you'd like to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith, uh, we do not have a problem with that. And uh, just keep in mind that the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. You you don't want to uh, abuse a good gift that God has given us. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And since we're going to be doing a Swift Fire update, I've got to play our Swift Fire update music. Here we go. Fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire And it down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire all right, enough. We won't have to. <laughs> anyway, I happen to enjoy that song. But uh, so uh, here is, um, well, like I said earlier, we're, this is an update from SwiftFire.org. Um, Charnel of SwiftFire Ministries will be sharing her biblical expertise uh, regarding healing slash raindrop therapy. Here's Charnel to explain. My name is Sharna Wolverton, and today I want to talk to you about the raindrop technique. Now- mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've scoured my Bible. I've never heard of the raindrop technique. Now, the raindrop technique is basically um, the combination of using massage with essential oils to see some results. <laughs> what results am I looking for? Now, what does that have to do with being a Christian? Good question. Um, Well, first of all, physically, massage is statistically and scientifically proven to put more oxygen back into your body. And it's almost equivalent to like exercise. Like you're automatically helping your body regenerate and get more oxygen into the tissue, into the organs. See, I had no idea. See, I've been struggling with weight all of my adult life. Um... Here all along, I thought it's probably because of a lack of exercise. Maybe it's, well, because of a lack of massages. 
see if I can convince my wife to fix this problem. But So you can be a better vessel for the Lord. Right. You see, so massage your way to being a better vessel. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but even scripturally speaking, yeah. uh, in James 5, 14, let me just read this scripture to you. I can't wait. Yes. It says, if anyone among you is sick. Yeah. He, could, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Do you think... Do you... <laughs> do you think that James was referring to the raindrop technique and that he was really, a, really talking about the importance of being anointed with essential oils in a massage? I just don't think that's what he was talking about. <laughs> That he may be healed. Now, that word anoint actually means masak, which means to massage with. A- <laughs> 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 <clears throat> Suffice it to say, she's never taken a Greek class. That's just all I'm saying. Essential oils. Uh, now, when they used essential oils, they were not using the oils that you can get from Lifeway Bookstore or... Um, I'm sure, yes. Some of the websites or Rite Aid or wherever when you, wherever you can get fake oils that have chemicals in them. If you want to know where to get real oils, um, please watch the video, um, Fake versus Real. Uh, it'll explain how to find out what what oils are actually beneficial to you and what will actually make you worse because you want to get the right ones. But when James was talking about this here, he was, he was actually talking about real essential oils, which are plant-based oils. That- <laughs> I had no idea that James was teaching the raindrop technique. I I totally missed that one. It had 100% oils in them, no pharmaceuticals, no uh, antifreeze, which is the choice filler in most of the um, the oils that we have tested. Um, and antifreeze is, is what they use just because it creates a better shelf life. Uh, not the best thing that you want to put on your body. And reason being, if you have to use gloves and goggles and all the things that they say that you should use just in using antifreeze, then um, you know you definitely don't want to eat it, which on the bottle it would say, do not eat, do not take internally, do not ingest. If it says any of that on the essential oil bottle. By the way, you know, I hate to break this to Charnel, uh, <clears throat> but I'm just, I'm looking at my Greek New Testament here. And um, James chapter five, and uh, that's, that's where we're supposed to go. Verse 14 um, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil. Okay, the Greek word for uh, anoint here is has nothing to do with massage, and it's not the word mashak as she sh- said it was, which doesn't even sound like a Greek word. the uh, The Greek verb there is alepho. Alepho. It means well to anoint. <laughs> It doesn't nothing. No allusions here to anointing, uh, to massage, or essential oils. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. You know, so bottle. Then you know that there are chemicals involved and possibly antifreeze. So pay attention to the label. If it says you can't eat it, then it's probably not real. 
and definitely not good for your body. Um, when James was talking about this, he was not talking about pharmaceutical oils. He was talking about real oils. They did not have like a pharmaceutical oil station on the corner of you know the way. Right. So it, it, don't you find it odd that you know she thinks that James taught the raindrop technique and was talking about massage oils? They had real oils that were plant-based. They did not have chemicals back then to even talk about. So of course she's going to be talking about real oils. Right. Um. When they anoint, that word anoint actually means to massage, which means to massage with. That's weird because in my Greek New Testament, you know, there it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lepho. That's the Greek. That's the, uh, the root verb there. And, and uh, ele, uh, ele santes is the, uh, is the way it is. It's the uh, aorist active participle masculine plural nominative. And so, I, yeah, what what Greek New Testament are you reading from, Charnel? Essential oils. So they were not doing the whole Crisco on the forehead thing and praying in faith. Um, they were praying in faith, and they were combining frequency of prayer with frequency of essential oils. And oh, man. And they were rubbing it in because when the chemicals go in, I mean, when the essential oils go in, they actually go through, eat up chemicals, they help out the body to support the body to do what it's supposed to. And it can go into the limbic system and unlock different things from your limbic system to... Um... So do you think the Apostle James was all into that you know, limbic system unlocking technique using the essential oils? Is that what's really going on there? Whether it's trauma-related or just past issues or things that are blockers that have stored in different parts of your body. Yeah. Um, there are two videos out that you can go back and watch on the limbic system and on trauma-related things to get more information on that. But just for time's sake, we're going to stick with this. Does anyone find it... Ironic that the similarities between her and a bona fide snake oil salesperson that there's really doesn't seem to be any qualitative difference, except for snake oil salesmen of the past were a little more animated in their sales pitches, you know? The actual technique for raindrop is they put a series of different oils back on your spine, and that's where viruses really like to hang out, that's where demons hang out. De I had I did not know that. So apparently demons hang out in your spine. Wow. And it actually just disperses through your body and, and um, eliminates um, toxic things in your body and, and as well as spiritual things that can get trapped into your body. Boy, that's some pretty amazing oil there, yeah. Just by um, putting these oils on the back of your spine. Using the raindrop technique, which is what James was talking about there in James 5.14, right? Now, just to give you an example, or a few examples, uh, I know a man who was in a wheelchair for six years who administrated these oils over a period of time who is not in a wheelchair anymore. He's up and running, doing things, um, things that I won't even do, jumping out of planes and riding horses. And Well, I would ride horses, but um, scary things like jumping out of planes and uh, skydiving and things like that. All because he had the raindrop technique done on him. Wow. Um, Dr. David Stewart himself, who wrote the book Healing Oils of the Bible, was in a terrible car accident. And he, for years, could not lay flat in his bed. He was in a recliner. He could not dress himself. He couldn't lift his hands over his, um, his hips. 
And he had one raindrop, and after that one raindrop, he was completely healed miraculously because, again, the combination of the essential oils with prayer um, did something that um, unleashed those assignments to his body. And You you know, Charnel, I've got some magic beans. You know, I'll sell them to you for a reasonable price. Actually aligned everything in his body. Now, Valor is one of the oils that comes in the raindrop. Um, kit that you can get and valor is and i'm sure the raindrop kit was well modeled right after what the apostle james used a lot of times referred to cairo in a bottle by the chiropractors because it actually when you put it on your back on your uh, spine it tells its the body to recorrect itself it tells the spine to recorrect itself so sometimes you actually hear popping sounds pop 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 and um, and see results just by that alignment. If you measure someone before a raindrop, which we usually do, you can see that after a raindrop, someone will probably grow an inch to two inches just because of that alignment, because something really happens physically. Not- so if you're trying to look taller to impress some gal, you know, that you're getting ready to take on a date, the raindrop technique, I'm just saying, you know, you know, are you, you struggling with height issues? You know, maybe you're only like five six, five seven in height, and you know you want to get those extra few inches to impress your date, and you don't want to do it, you know, in a way that's obvious. You know, like wearing high heels or something like that. It's not a good idea for guys. The raindrop technique, it'll it'll you know add two inches to your height just like that. Right after the pop pop pop, you'll be taller. Not just spiritually. Another example of a spiritual um, thing that happened is we had a guy, one of our very first raindrops that we did, we were mixing sozo, like theophostic um, counseling with essential oils and seeing some real good results. We had a guy came in, and some of you have heard this story, like 250-pound big kind of dude from Texas that you wouldn't expect um, anything would happen. And he came in and, you know, we told him, you know, let's pray. And if you, you know, get a memory or anything in your limbic system, you know, sets off any memories or whatever, we could talk about it, we could pray through it or whatever. And as he was um, laying there and we were administrating all the oils and he starts having a memory, he starts crying about a time when he was five years old and his parents had went out for the night and left him with his brothers. And when they left him with his brothers, the brothers didn't want to deal with him, so they took him across the street and put him in a cemetery of an unmarked grave that was just left open. So there he is, five years old, it's dark, he's crying, he's like, do you think this means anything? And we're like, uh, yeah. And um, the, the more we talk to him and kind of walk him through, we find out, you know, he was cold, his fingers were bleeding from trying to crawl out, he screamed so loud and so long that he lost his voice. He finally went to sleep. You know, if I was suffering from a childhood trauma, psychologically, Charnel Wolverton is like the last person I would go to to get help. Um, his parents ended up finding him the next day. His mom found him and got him out. I'm sure the brothers were in big trouble, but he had not even had a memory of this. He was in his 40s and did not even have a memory of this. Now, when we were doing the oils, you can feel like hot spots, cold spots, and what have you. And oh, man. <laughs> Okay, I, I can't listen to it anymore. Ay, 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 ay. The, again, this is on the xpmedia.com website. Charnel's part of the Patricia King gang. And boy, oh boy, does this have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with biblical Christianity. You think that uh, 
maybe just maybe they're off topic there. I'm thinking that probably is the case. Okay, we are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Yikes. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Presenting for your listening pleasure, Majestic Mystery by Brian McLaren, read by Reginald Bumper Scatter. Oh, Majestic Mystery. Oh, Mysterious Majesty. My small hand can never grasp you. I can only hold it open. I don't like this oh, at all. Majestic <laughs> mystery. I, I think I'm going to be sick. Oh, mysterious. He's saying words, but I'm not even sure it's English. Small mind. <laughs> ah! My appendix just turned inside out. Hold it open. Someone help that poor man and call the paramedics. What's all this then? That poor man appendix is just turned inside out. Well, that doesn't sound good. It's not every day that people appendixes do that. What was he doing? Listening to the emergent poet on stage. He didn't tell me there was emergent poetry being read. Right. Everybody evacuate the building immediately. Oh, majestic mystery. Here come the Navy SEALs. What seems to be the trouble? Somebody in that building is reading emergent poetry. Have you set up a soundproof perimeter? No, I haven't had time. Oh, we can't help you then. What do you mean you can't help us? Too dangerous. Too, too dangerous? Don't get cheeky with me. You've seen but a small taste of emergent poetry's destructive power. It only gets worse with each passing stanza. Game over, dude. Game over. Quick, get that man into quarantine. His soul's been sucked out from his nostrils. Isn't there anything you can do to help that poor man? Afraid not. The only answer we have now is to nuke the site from orbit. Search the area and make sure no one's hiding in the refrigerator. We can't have any survivors. It's been nice serving with you, Chief. Likewise. 
Can't believe the world's come to this. spend some serious time staring at a digital screen, probably around eight hours a day. There's work, video games, surfing the web, and every other function of life on all our devices. Hey, we live in an age where everything is digital. It's just par for the course, right? But have you ever thought about the impact all that has on your eyes? All that screen time is going to affect your vision. Maybe now, maybe later, but it's gonna happen. We're talking everything from eye fatigue and headaches to eyes that are so dry and irritated they could make even the techiest dude alive want to go analog. It's pretty hard to do the stuff you love if your eyes are feeling exhausted or burnt out. But it's not like less time in front of a screen is an option these days. So what do you do? It's like you need some crazy awesome invention that can help your eyes stay fresh and protect them so that you can get the most out of your digital consumption. Introducing Gunner Optics. Gunners are these super sweet computer glasses that make it easier and more comfortable to enjoy all your digital activities. There's seriously some NASA grade stuff going on here, but basically they have this uber smart lens technology that improves your visual experience, protects your vision, and helps prevent wear and tear on your eyes. Gunner's yellow lenses filter out harsh artificial light, which helps you see better, and they relax your eyes and stop them from straining constantly. Plus, they help combat all those other nasty side effects of staring at screens all day, like eye fatigue and dryness. Your eyes do a lot for you. Return the favor with Gunner's. For more information about Gunner's and to see a video with me wearing my pair of Gunner's, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash Gunner's. That's G-U-N-N-A-R-S. Again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash Gunner's. And thank you for your support. We're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if it's run by a bunch of juvenile man-boys who don't know how to rightly handle God's Word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. Uh, We are now officially in the summer slump uh, financially, and we truly do need your help to continue to pay our bills. Even though our finances have taken a little bit of a dip, our expenses haven't. And so if you don't already support Fighting for the Faith, uh, head on over to our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Moving along. This is some of the music we use for uh, tele-evangelist updates. 
Pet Shop Boys. Sing along if you know it. I'll be doing the white man overbite while I'm Muppet dancing to this song. It takes me back to the days when I had feathered hair. And a 29-inch waist. And a skinny tie. You've got the looks. Let's make lots of money. I've got the brains. Let's make lots of money. play the rest of that but man uh, that takes me back yeah <laughs> anyway that's uh to lead into this uh well video um summary of the uh recently concluded uh td jake's pastors and leadership conference uh just recently held out there in florida but um yeah it, it, listen in and we'll they'll actually there's a whole preaching segment in this little summary video see if any of this sounds like biblical christianity to you Eight thousand pastors and leaders from around the country eight thousand of them huh that's not good. The move of God is in your spirit. Rejoice! It's not impossible. Is that the Jaws music? Yeah, there's a shark in the water. It's priceless when you stand before God. Shake somebody by the hand and tell them they messed me up in this meeting. They messed me up in this meeting. Yeah, you don't want to be messed up the way T.D. Jakes messes people up, because then, you know, like, sound biblical doctrine is gone, and you're, well, teaching something different. I can't go back and be who I was. I can't act like it didn't happen after it happened. I can't ignore this level of glory. Uh-huh. This is a whole level. Now you stole Ed Young's line. This is a whole Boy, he sure does have the crowd whipped up, doesn't he? Yeah, no uh, emotional manipulation going on there, you know. I'm so glad that he's now a well considered orthodox by you know as by decree of the elephant room too. Uh-oh, he's speaking in tongues. Not really, but I mean, that's the false manifestation of tongues. I can't fit in that place I've been pushed in. Yeah, well, get a rope. Even though loving hands push me there, I can't stay there. Mama, I love you. 
uh, you know, again, baseball organ there, you know. I, I don't understand the point of a baseball organ, you know, as part of preaching. But... Daddy, it's been real. I know you had a plan of how I ought to turn out, but I hate to mess you up, Daddy. But I... Yeah, I'm waiting for Andre Ethier to hit a home run here, Matt Kemp to get off the disabled list. You know, da 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 I'm exposed. I've been exposed to power on another level. And I got to go into the next dimension. Mm-hmm. You got to go into the next dimension. Have you been to Patricia King's Glory School? Is that what's going on here? Slap your neighbor and tell him, get ready to go. Get ready to go. Uh, where are we going? Into the next dimension. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're, we're going into the next dimension. You know, um, hmm. It reminds me of this. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. See, another see with the key of imagination, you go into the another dimension. A dimension of sound. Yeah. A dimension of sight. Will it mess me up? A dimension of mind. Will my loved ones push me there? You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. There we go. So maybe at that pastor's leadership conference, T.D. Jakes was sending people to another dimension, you know? You know what I mean. Into the next wave of glory. Into the next supernatural release. Into the power of God. Open your... Have you noticed that, like, none of these words mean anything? It's just he's got a, a baseball organ and a drummer, and he knows how to shout and kind of, you know, just play off of the wave of emotions he's creating. A mountain shout at the God. Yeah, if your pastor went to this, you um, you might want to go to a different church. I said open your mouth and shout at the God. So apparently we're like the children of Israel, you know, circling the walls of Jericho there and shouting now, you know. This, this has nothing to do with God the Holy Spirit. This is just flat-out emotional manipulation. This is contrived. This is created. Touch everybody you can reach and tell them I'm all messed up. I'm all messed up. Yeah, yeah, all messed up, all right. My mind messed up. I'm all messed up. Yeah, see, like I said, if your pastor went to this thing, you probably want to switch churches because he got messed up there. You know? I'm all messed up. I'm all messed up. I've been exposed to the glory of God. I'm all messed up. Yeah, they've been exposed to something. It's more like a religious toxic waste. Stay where I used to stay. I'm all messed up. Tell the flight attendant. I'm all messed up. Tell the taxi driver. I'm all messed up. Call your mama. I'm all messed up. Yeah, wow. That was messed up.
So that's apparently what happened at the International Pastors Leadership Conference put on by T.D. Jakes. He ended up messing up a whole bunch of people there. Yeah, like that's what we need in the body of Christ is a bunch of messed up pastors. We might already have that. All right, moving along. From the Christian Post, the headline reads, If we believe all the same things... Why do our churches seem so different? This is by Kevin DeYoung. Kevin writes, says, uh, Many Christians see the church world in black and white. You have liberals on one side, and they are the bad guys who doubt the resurrection, don't believe in the Bible. And on the other side, you have the good guys who believe in miracles, do not waver on the deity of Christ, and and want lost people to be saved. We call those folks evangelicals or conservatives or Bible-believing Christians. Give them a checklist of doctrines and they will get almost everything right. Liberalism is a problem, but squishy evangelicalism is the much bigger problem. (laughs) Uh, You got my attention, Kevin. Let's see what he says now. If you, it, I do not write thinking that churches self-consciously in the tradition of Bushnell, Beecher, and Briggs will do an about-face, or that in the stream of process theology, liberation theology, or feminist theology will abandon ship. I may vehemently disagree with full-on liberalism, but I can respect that there is an ecclesiastical and intellectual tradition behind it. The audience I have in mind are those Christians, pastors, and churches that continue to affirm the basic contours of the evangelical faith. They've never read Fosdick or Tillich or Schleiermacher. They don't read the Christian century, and they don't know much about Duro or Trito-Isaiah and don't really care to waste any more time with documentary hypotheses. They think Paul wrote Ephesians, John wrote John. They love Jesus and want other people to love Jesus. If you ask these Christian pastors or churches if hell is forever and people must be born again, they'll say yes. If you ask them whether you can trust everything in the Bible, they wouldn't dare say no. They have no problem with any of the historic creeds and confessions. The people and institutions I have in mind gladly affirm penal substitution, the bodily resurrection of Christ, and a real historical fall. The folks I want to address are energetic about evangelism. They want to see churches planted and people come to Christ. They think small groups, accountability, partners, and mission trips are excellent. And at least in private conversation, they'll tell you that homosexuality is not. These Christians, pastors, and churches are not liberal. They don't feel like one of the bad guys. The problem is they don't feel like the good guys either. Have you ever been talking to a pastor or someone from another church and it seems like you should be kindred spirits? The person you meet is obviously a warm-hearted, sincere Christian. They don't have a problem with any of the doctrines you mention as precious to you and your church. They don't affirm liberal positions on major theological questions. They nod vigorously when you talk about the Bible and prayer and church planting and the gospel. And yet you can't help but wonder if you are really on the same page. You try to check your heart and make sure it's not pride or judgmentalism getting the best of you. That's always possible. But no, the more you reflect on the conversation and think about your two churches or two pastors or two ministries, you conclude that there really is a difference. Now, by the way, I'm going to pause right here and just make a point, and that is this. This is exactly what Todd Wilkin wrote on not too long ago in his document, an article entitled Bible-Believing 
liberalism. I've read it in the past here on at Fighting for the Faith. And if you haven't read it, I strongly recommend get on Google and type in Todd Wilkin, W-I-L-K-E-N, and Bible-believing liberals or Bible-believing liberalism. And read the article. I think that's what Kevin DeYoung is talking about here. It's It's a strange bird, to say the least. But anyway... DeYoung continues, he says, and what is that difference? That's something I've thought a lot about over the past few months. I'm sure I don't have all the answers, but here are 10 things that distinguish between what I would call a vibrant, robust, Bible-believing church and one that gets the statement of faith right but feels totally different. One, the mission of the church has gotten sidetracked. Recently, I stumbled upon the website for a church in my denomination. Judging from the information on the site, I would say this church thinks of itself as evangelical in the loose sense of the word. Their theology seems to be of the mere Christianity variety, but this is their stated missional aim. Quote, our missions are designed to connect people to their resources with opportunities to respond to human need in the name of Jesus. A church with this mission will be very different from one that aims to make disciples of all nations or exists to spread a passion for the supremacy of God and all things for the joy of all peoples. Two, uh, the church has become over-accommodating. I'm not thinking of all contextualization, of which there are some good kinds and some bad. I'm thinking of churches whose first instinct is to shape their methods, if not their message, to connect with a contemporary audience. And because of this dominant instinct, they avoid hard doctrines, cut themselves off from history and tradition, and lean towards pragmatism. Now, Kevin, I wouldn't say they lean towards it. I say they absolutely breathe it. Like you and I breathe oxygen in the air, they breathe uh, pragmatism. Number three, the gospel is assumed. While the right theology may be affirmed in theory, it rarely gets articulated, you know, like rarely or never. Uh, No one believes the wrong things, but they don't believe much of anything. When pressed, they will quickly affirm the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection of penal substitution of justification by faith alone, but their real passions are elsewhere. What really holds the church together is a shared conviction about creation care or homeschooling or soup kitchens or the local fire station. It sounds like you're describing churches that are trying to be community resource centers, right? Yeah, listen to my lecture on resistance is futile. You'll be assimilated into the community. It's a completely different concept of why the church exists altogether. Number four, there is no careful doctrinal delineation. Theology is not seen as the church's outboard motor. It's a nasty barnacle on the whole. You will quickly notice a difference in message and methods between the church whose operating principle is doctrine divides and the one that believes that doctrine leads to doxology. Yeah, exactly. They're anti-doctrinal. Five, the ministry of the word is diminished. Can you really even call it a ministry of the word? Anyway, while preaching may still be honored in theory, in many churches there is little confidence that paltry preaching is what ails the church, and even less confidence that dynamic preaching is the proper prescription. No one wants to explicitly poo-poo preaching, teaching, or the ministry of the word, but when push comes to shove, the real solutions are structural or stylistic. How often do those engaged in church revitalization begin by looking at the preaching of the word and the role the Bible plays in practical outworking of the congregation's ministry? 
Great question, by the way, Kevin. Number six, people are not called to repentance. No, they're not. They're, in, instead, I can tell you based on the many, many, many sermons we've reviewed here, people are called to make a commitment to go to the next level, to make a commitment to activate their vision or weird things like that. Um, so number six, people are not called to repentance. It sounds so simple and yet it's so easily forgotten. Pastors may call people to believe in Jesus or call people to serve the community, but unless they also call them to repent of their sins, the church's ministry will lack real spiritual power. And uh, this should not be done by merely encouraging people to be authentic about their brokenness. (laughs) Yeah, by the way. Yeah. I, I, if I confess that I need to be authentic about my brokenness, that is not the same thing, by the way, as confessing I am a wretched sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness that was won for me on the cross by Jesus Christ in his shed blood. Big difference, by the way. Kevin continues. He says, we must use strong biblical language in calling people to repent and calling them to Christ. I agree. Number seven, there is no example of carefully handling specific texts of Scripture. Nope. (laughs) I could have told you that. Anyway, next, uh, he says, people will not trust the Bible as they should unless they see it regularly taught in detail and clarity. Churches may still espouse a high view of Scripture, but without a diet of careful exposition, they will not know how to study the Bible for themselves and will not be discerning when poor theology comes along. I completely agree. Eight, there is no functioning ecclesiology. That's right. Uh, ecclesiology, um, yeah, that has to do with how the church operates. Um, if you put two churches side by side with the same theology on paper, but one has a working ecclesiology and the other has a grab bag of eclectic practices, you will see a startling difference. Careful shepherding, elder training, regenerate church membership, a functioning diaconate, purposeful congregational meetings. These are the things you may not know you've never had. But when you do, it's a different kind of church. Uh-huh. Well, see, you got to remember, Kevin, in the churches you're describing, the pastors are not pastors. They're leaders. They're fuhrers. They're not there to minister. They're there to lead. There's a difference. Number nine, there is an almost complete disregard for church discipline. Um, yeah, that's a fair statement. Unless, of course, you disagree with the vision of the leader, then you are disciplined severely and the church catapult will send you into the next county. So he says, if discipline is truly one of the three marks of the church, then many evangelical congregations are not true churches. All the best theology in the world won't help your church or denomination if you don't guard against those who deny it. Uh If we are to be faithful and eternally fruitful, we must warn against error, confront the spirit of the age, and discipline the impenitent. Yeah, yeah, Kevin, you sound so old school, you know, you sound like you read the Bible and actually believe it somehow has some say in our methods in church. These guys would disagree. Because apparently to them, methods are, well, that you just do whatever you want. Number 10, the real problem is something other than sin, and the real remedy is something other than a savior. This is absolutely true. The best churches stay focused on the basics, and that means sin and salvation. Sadly, many churches, even if they affirm the right doctrine on paper, act and preach as if the biggest problem in the world is, well, lack of education or material poverty or the declining morals of our country or the th- threat of global warming or worse, I would say, 
or the, you, the the problem is is you haven't embraced God's big plan for your life. You you're not uh, audacious. You're not um you're you're not authentic. You're not going out there and 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 learning how to experience excitement and adventure. You know things. Yeah, I'm just thinking on many of the sermons we've been listening to over the few years. Anyways, he says, as a result, we preach cultural improvement instead of Christ. We preach justice without Jesus. We lose sight of the biggest problem, though not the only problem confronting the churchgoer every Sunday is that he is a sinner in need of a savior. Yeah, they don't talk like that. And now if you read if you read through this list and think you have everything down already, don't be haughty. If we get all these right and are proud about it, we'll rob ourselves of our and our churches of God's blessing. But my prayer is that somewhere out there in the frozen tundra of the Internet, a pastor or a congregation or a church leader will read through these 10 items and think, you know, this may be what we're missing. The evangelical church needs depth where it's shallow, thoughtfulness where it's pragmatic, conviction where it has become compromised. A casual adherence to a formal set of basic doctrines does not guarantee real unity and does not ensure genuine spiritual strength. Great article by Kevin DeYoung. I think he's got his finger on the real problem, don't you? All right, what we're going to do is, it's a little bit early, but we'll go ahead and go into our second break and uh, when we come back, we're going to be listening to the f- first um, movie sermon of the uh, new movie sermon um, season. And um, <laughs> you're not going to want to miss it. It's on Captain America. I haven't even seen that movie. I hate to say that. But anyway, if, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me, my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. You spend some serious time staring at a digital screen, probably around eight hours a day. There's work, video games, surfing the web, and every other function of life on all our devices. Hey, we live in an age where everything is digital. It's just par for the course, right? But have you ever thought about the impact all that has on your eyes? All that screen time is going to affect your vision. Maybe now, maybe later, but it's gonna happen. We're talking everything from eye fatigue and headaches to eyes that are so dry and irritated they could make even the techiest dude alive want to go analog. It's pretty hard to do the stuff you love if your eyes are feeling exhausted or burnt out. But it's not like less time in front of a screen is an option these days. So what do you do? It's like you need some crazy awesome invention that can help your eyes stay fresh and protect them so that you can get the most out of your digital consumption. Introducing Gunner Optics. 
Gunners are these super sweet computer glasses that make it easier and more comfortable to enjoy all your digital activities. There's seriously some NASA grade stuff going on here, but basically they have this uber smart lens technology that improves your visual experience, protects your vision, and helps prevent wear and tear on your eyes. Gunner's yellow lenses filter out harsh artificial light, which helps you see better, and they relax your eyes and stop them from straining constantly. Plus, they help combat all those other nasty side effects of staring at screens all day, like eye fatigue and dryness. Your eyes do a lot for you. Return the favor with Gunner's. For more information about Gunners and to see a video with me wearing my pair of Gunners, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash Gunners. That's G-U-N-N-A-R-S. Again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash Gunners. And thank you for your support. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review, movie sermon review time. Maybe I'll watch the Dondra game while the movie sermon's playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hearing that organ, you know, played by uh, T.D. Jakes, put me in the mood for some baseball, but... Bad and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Believer's Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Youth Pastor Doug Vance presiding. The name of the sermon is Captain America. I'd almost listen, want to listen to Charnel. Man. Now, i got to let you know, I haven't listened to the whole sermon, and that's on purpose. 
that way I don't know if he ever really gets around to rightly handling a biblical text or not. It's a way of making it so that I have to listen a little more carefully while reviewing the sermon. Oh, man. So this is just a reminder that movie, the movie preaching season is rapidly approaching and is now upon us. And, of course, I can't relate to this sermon because I, well, i got to confess, I haven't seen the Captain America movie. <sighs> so this movie sermon isn't relevant to me at all. You know what I thought we, uh, a good thing to do would be to, you know, l- take a look at, you know, keep in mind some of the things that Kevin DeYoung talked about. Uh, about the ministry of the word being diminished. People not being called to repentance. No example of careful handling of specific texts of scripture. You know, see how, see if the gospel is assumed in this particular sermon and see if there's any careful doctrinal delineation as part of this Captain America sermon. I bet you there isn't. But then again, I haven't listened to the whole thing. Well, let me end this movie music here. <laughs> As we dive into this movie sermon based upon Captain America, here is, well, uh, the opening to the sermon. It begins with a movie trailer of sorts. Um, again, I haven't seen the movie, so I just don't know. Anyway, here we go. Are you ready for Captain America? Here it is. Whatever happens, stay who you are. Not just a soldier, but a good man. How do you feel? Taller. What do you think? I think it works. So he's the first Avenger, apparently. All right. All right, how y'all doing today? Sweet, yeah. Uh, my name is Doug Vance. I am the student pastor here at Believer's Church, and I'm pretty excited about the message today, talking about Captain America. Um, how many of you have seen this film already? Woo-woo! All right, some of you are wearing Captain America t-shirts. I like that. I am also wearing one, as you can see. Um, that's right. So uh, Captain America was pretty awesome. I'm a huge comic book fan, so I was excited about this movie. And when I was doing some research on Captain America as a comic, it was pretty cool. I found some sweet stuff. Uh, Captain America was actually started in World War II, and it was really created to, to help Americans rally around this idea of fighting evil. You know, fighting on the side of good, fighting for justice, and, and helping us just have the same mind, unity and spirit, and just have this idea of American pride. And Captain America really is like the essence of American pride. Um, I got a picture of the very first edition of Captain America. He's the guy right in the middle wearing the American flag onesie. That's Captain America right there. Now, this isn't a distraction from sound biblical teaching at all, is it? He has his... Um- you know, when I was a kid growing up, if, if I were in like history class... And I was caught reading Captain America during history class. <laughs> well, I'd I'd end up having a you know taking a trip to the principal's office, and uh, my Captain America comic would be uh, uh, well taken away from me. So you know, now in church, you don't even have to hide that you're reading Captain America because the the pastor's going to preach from it. Wow! American flag shield. 
He's super strong, super soldier, and he really is like pretty much the American dream, right? This guy, he's super strong, he's wearing an American flag, pajamas running around, and best of all, he's punching Hitler in the face. So, um, you don't get- Yeah, way to go, Captain America. Get much better than that, you know? That's what every American wants to be right there, punching Hitler right in the face, that's awesome. So that was Captain America, you know? Yeah, dude, yeah, that's awesome, yeah. Um, and if you've seen the movie, you've seen how he got to that point. Before he was the super soldier, he was this, this small, weak student who wanted to, to fight in the army. Um, he had heart, you know. He had willpower. He wanted to fight. He wanted to do what was right and stand up for justice. But he just didn't have the strength to accomplish it. He, he's small and he's scrawny, and every time he tried to apply for the military, they said, dude, you got asthma, you got this whole list of problems, you're just too weak, man, you can't do it. So they kept denying him. Finally, though, he, he was able to sign up for the super soldier program, and it turned him into that. And it's cool because I think we can all relate to Captain America in his, in his weak state. Because each of us has, has felt helpless at some point in our life. Each of us has felt like, like this job is in front of us that is too big for us to accomplish on our own power. That's right. It's my personal El Wapo. Yeah, you know. We feel like we're unequipped, we're inadequate, we're not good enough to accomplish whatever task or problem or trial is in front of us. And I think we can relate to that because each of us has felt weak and helpless at some point in our life. Yeah, because that's the problem Christ came to solve, is to help us in those areas of our life where we feel weak and helpless. You know, I feel completely weak and helpless against sin, death, and the devil. Can we talk about that? Some of you might feel that way right now. Maybe you're facing a situation in life. Maybe it's like a broken relationship. Maybe it's like a failing marriage. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe your financial crisis is your own personal El Wapo. Maybe it's something that's happening in your life right now and you just feel like you're not cut out for that job. And we feel weak. We, we feel like we can't do it by ourselves, And we can relate to that. We want to do what's right, but sometimes we just don't feel strong enough to do it. So Captain America, he's weak, he's puny, he's scrawny, kind of like me when I was like 12. And he wants to fight, he wants to do what's right. So they enlist him in the super soldier program because he has will, he has heart. He wants to do what's right. In the movie, he keeps saying he, just doesn't, he doesn't like bullies. He doesn't like people picking on innocent people. So he signs up and he, he's good to go. They put him in this giant machine. They inject him with this sweet medicine. And he becomes this like super soldier, you know? He's super powerful. He's able to fight crime, punch Hitler in the face, and like dodge bullets. That's pretty cool, right? And I think we all kind of relate to that too because we all want that power. When I was a kid, I used to imagine to myself, if I had the ability for like super strength or if I could fly or if I could shoot people with like laser beam eyes, like what kind of cool stuff would I do? And as a kid, I'm like, man, I would change the world. I would fight crime. I would overthrow bad people. I would save lives. I would do all these cool things because I had... What exactly is the problem you're addressing from scripture? Again, I'm, I'm curious the power and the strength to do it. And as a kid, I used to dream about getting these superpowers, you know? I'm a comic book nerd, so constantly I'm reading about these awesome powers and how much... Yeah, aren't pastors supposed to be Bible nerds? I mean, nothing personal for, against you, um, Doug, but the Bible specifically says the job of a pastor is to preach the word, and he's to study and show himself as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, but rightly dividing, rightly cutting the word of truth. Um... 
Yeah, pastors are supposed to be Bible nerds. I I think we need one of those. I, you can go read your comic books um, on your own time, but we need a Bible nerd up there right now. That's what we really need. I wanted them. But you know what? Right now in this place, I think we desire power, not on that grand scale, but more on a personal level. Mm-hmm. I think we all want the power, the strength to, to fix relationships in our lives. Yeah, to overcome those, you know, those El Wapos, you know. Whether it's a friendship that was split apart because of, of something that was said, or maybe a sin, or maybe just, just something that had hurt that, that situation, and it caused this split. And we want the strength to, to bring that back together, to ask for forgiveness, or even to forgive others. Uh, well, forgiveness has something to do with the gospel. Can you elaborate on that point, please? I think we we desire that kind of strength. We want the strength to overcome problems that we face on a day-to-day basis, just the strength to get through our day, the strength to do what we have to do, to work hard, to to earn money for our family, the strength to provide. I think we desire that kind of strength on a day-to-day basis, and that's how we can relate relate to Captain America, because a lot of times we feel weak. like we. You You really want me to relate to Captain America? Um can't do that. We, we don't find the strength when we really need it sometimes. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we might even go far as to say, we feel weak more often than we feel strong. Where do we find this strength? Uh, I feel a segue coming to a Bible verse. I, it just, they telegraph their punches. I just say. To overcome problems, to solve conflict, just to, to overcome any obstacle that gets put in our path. Uh-huh. Um, Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I love this verse. Yeah, wow. A whole sentence from chapter (laughs) 4 of Philippians. Um... Yeah, I'm not seeing any, you know, careful reading and teaching from an entire swath of Scripture here. Um, A sentence. One whole sentence it's not even a full thought i for for i can do all everything through christ who strengthens me you know you notice it begins with the word for yeah you know what that means right it it means that while the apostle paul was like in a thought he was actually mid thought there um and that you the for is kind of the resolve for the the full thought if you know what i mean yeah, um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yeah, great sentence. But a sentence out of context does not a Bible teaching make. Um, this doesn't count as preaching the word so far. Um, wow, is this bad. Okay, let's continue. It's a powerful verse. It's a verse that we can take confidence knowing that it's true for our lives today. If you are a follower of Christ, this is true for you. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But it's sad. True for me. Huh. I thought true things were true for everybody, not just me. At the same time, because I see a lot of people kind of abusing this verse. We see it like the way you are right now. On ball teams as their ball team motto, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So Jesus, help me hit that home run. 
Awesome. Way to go, Jesus. Jesus, I, don't, I want to win this game. Give me strength to play the best ball I can and win this game. Maybe we take this verse and we're like on the way to work and we're late. Jesus, I'm late for work, man. Turn those lights green. By the power of Jesus, let me get to work on time. But, you know, we're in a financial crisis right now. We're like, I need some money. Jesus, help me win the lottery. Jesus, show me the money. And we want this, this easy fix. And we can take this verse and we can abuse it. We can say, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, Doug, you are aware that by ripping this verse out of context, you're actually abusing it. By the way, the three rules for sound biblical understanding are context, context, and context. I mean, if we're going to you know, do a Bible teaching from Philippians... Don't you think that there's a reason? I'm just saying. I may be really old school here, and I know I'm a, probably a rube, and everybody knows now I'm 44. I mean, I mean I'm mid-40s, so I mean, I'm completely clueless when it comes to how to be relevant. But don't you think that, well, since God the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write all of the book of Philippians, it's an entire letter, you know, that maybe, just maybe, we could benefit from, you know, other parts of it rather than just a verse from chapter 4 that you're taking out of context. Um, The Apostle Paul, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Well, though I myself have reason for confidence if in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has confidence, uh, reason for confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. Um, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, all of his good works under the law, as rubbish, scubalon. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, so that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Notice he's the contrast here is between salvation by works or the righteousness that's given to us, imputed to us by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the contrast. Salvation by works will get you nothing. That's what Paul calls scubalon. Whereas Christ's righteousness is imputed to you as a gift by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at here when he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that is by faith, right? Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join me in, in, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds that are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So I entreat you, Daya, and I entreat, entreat Synthi, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, when you put it all in context, you see there's a much deeper, much richer, much more important point that Paul is making here than what's being made, or the point being made by uh, Doug in this Captain America sermon. He's ripped a sentence out of context. For what reason, I don't know, because I'm not sure what it is he's trying to teach here. But it doesn't sound like anything biblical to me, even though he's, well, using a verse to make his point. But what does it truly mean in our life? What, can, what, what are these things that we can overcome? What does this strength look like for us? How can we do all things through Christ? I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray that right now God will reveal to you in your life what this verse means to you. What obstacles are you... Oh, man. Reveal to you what this verse means to you. Well, I think we need, to, we need to pay close attention to what this verse means, not what it means to me. That's to subjectivize it. But what does it objectively mean? What was God trying to say? Facing right now. 
What fears do you have in your life? What kind of things are placed in front of you and you feel like, I'm too weak to do this. I can't do it on my own strength. God, I need strength to overcome this problem. What is happening in your life right now that you need to cry out and ask God for his strength? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And right now, I pray that you will speak through me, God. Let us go through your word, your truth, and apply it to our lives. I pray that we can take this verse, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, and make it real for us, God. It's not some verse we can call out when we want to hit a home run. Make it real. Home run, or just win, or, or pass speed lights. But it's something that we can cry out to you, God, and say, God, we really need your help in this crisis in my life. And I want to be able to overcome this obstacle. God, give me strength. I pray now, as we go through this message, as we learn about what your strength looks like, how it applies to us, that you will help each of us in this room today to overcome the obstacles and the problems that we face on a day-to-day basis. We love you, God, and I pray now that you will give us strength and we can rely on you in all things. I pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Philippians says that we can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But at the same time, I think we have to have this this idea that it's not our strength. We have to live this life of humility. And my first point today is this. We are called to be humble but confident. And if you could, go ahead and take out your message notes. Okay. We are called to be humble but confident. Uh, aren't you, wait a second, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if if you're doing biblical exposition, an exegetical sermon, if you would, aren't the points supposed to come from the text itself? Here you're starting with your point, and it looks like you're about ready to go digging around in the Bible to try to find a Bible verse that makes your point. That's not how you do Bible teaching. If you're going to teach the Bible... You begin in a passage, and you, you start at the beginning of it, and you you read, and then you make you you reiterate or point out the points that the Bible is making there. So you're starting with your own point. We are called to be humble but confident. Um, this is backwards. Read me a Bible passage, and then show me from that passage how that's the point that it's making. They are in the worship folder. I got a couple fill-ins for you. I got some places you can write down some cool verses we'll be sharing today. So take out your message notes, fill that in. We are called to be humble, but confident. Yeah, I can't wait to write in some cool verses. We're about to go through some verses too. So if you don't have a Bible with you, I want you to grab the one that's in the seat right in front of you. This is our gift to you. If you do not have a Bible, I want you to take this home. Um, Well, at least if you're not going to preach from the Bible correctly, there's a chance they might still open the book and read it, you know? It is our gift. It's yours if you need it. We give away hundreds of Bibles every single year. Our goal is to make sure that you can go home with God's Word as a part of your life. So grab that Bible if you need it. Well, yeah, maybe it'll make up for the fact that it doesn't look very hopeful that we're going to hear much of God's word in the sermon. But the first point today, we are called to be humble but confident. And this is a strange point because it seems like humility and confidence go go against each other. It seems like they clash. Yeah, it's a strange point because you're making your point before you're actually reading a text. You're supposed to exegete a text, and if the text is teaching this, you point that out. You you understand what I'm saying? Like, if I had a life that was truly humble, yet truly confident, it seems like it wouldn't really work. It's like oil and water. What does that truly mean? How can we live a life of humility, yet be confident in something? Well, this is cool because um, when we're talking about humility, you know, we have great examples in God's Word. We read in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 
It says, each time he said, and this is Jesus talking to Paul, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. This is awesome, okay? God's power works best in our weakness. Uh, you got any context for that verse? I mean, I'd like to know what's going on there, Pastor. I mean, you you were just in Philippians chapter 4. I mean, we're like at the end of Philippians, and now you're just doing a hopscotch over to... Uh, Second Corinthians 12, um, what's the common theme or thread between those two verses? I mean, I understand. I mean, as I, I do theology uh, and, you know, apologetics and I teach in the church. And so yeah, I understand that, you know, it's possible to take passages that are not necessarily connected by pages that talk about the same subject and to, you know, to put them together and say, okay, here's what the Bible says about this subject here. And then here's what the Bible says about the same subject here. So that we can kind of under, we, we, the scripture interprets the scripture. That's the idea here. But what does Philippians 4.13 have to do with 2 Corinthians 12.9? I'm confused. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness or weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. It's calling us not to brag about our strengths, but, but to do the, the exact opposite, brag about our weaknesses. And this is hard for us to do because we live in this society, this, this Facebook society, where we're constantly boasting about ourselves. Look at me. Look how pretty I am. Look at how cool I am. Look at all these cool things. Yeah, you know, obviously you're not going to give the context. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I wonder if I should start in 11 on this one. Um, hang on. I'm making a decision as we uh, as we speak. I'm looking at my uh computerized Bible. Yeah, I'll start at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 30. Again, context, context, context. I have no idea how Philippians 4:13 is somehow talking about the same subject as 2 Corinthians 12:9. Maybe it is though. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, the Apostle Paul says. The God the, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor of under King Artatos Ar, Ar, uh, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man who was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And he heard of things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my own weakness. Though I, if, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, 
persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Interesting story, interesting passage. Paul, by the way, here, many uh, theologians and Bible scholars think that Paul is talking about an experience he had where he truly was taken to to heaven, much like the way Isaiah was, where he you know, was there in the throne room of God. And remember Isaiah, when he, when he was there, he said, oh, I'm undone, I'm a sinful man, okay? This is not without precedent, okay? Now, it's important to note also that this is not considered normative, okay? So God, who, for whatever reason, in his own sovereignty, in his own will, chose to give Paul a vision, take him to heaven. He saw things that he can't even utter. And to ensure that he wouldn't become conceited, Christ allowed him to suffer what he called a thorn in the flesh. Now, there's not a consensus on what this thorn is. Some people speculate that the thorn was probably the fact that the Apostle Paul had very serious eye problems, like an eye infection of sorts that made it difficult for him to see and almost near blind kind of thing. That's one theory regarding this, okay? Not knowing the specifics here, we're not sure exactly what it is. But whatever it is that was afflicting him, it was afflicting him because Christ didn't want him to be conceited, and it was a messenger from Satan that was sent to harass him, and he prayed prayed three times. He pleaded with the Lord that it would leave him, that this this thorn in the flesh would be removed. And Christ said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Great passage. Okay, It may, in fact, well, it, it, you can make a connection with Philippians 4.13, but that requires you to actually teach the text. And uh, Doug here is, well, he's, he's, it's, he's not really teaching the Bible really yet. Um, yeah, two verses, two sentences out of context so far. And not sure what Captain America has to do with this either. It's as if Captain America is a bait and switch at this point. It's the bait. But uh, not much of a Captain America sermon either. But anyway. Things I do on the weekend. Everybody look at me. And, and we have this Facebook mentality where we're constantly trying to put ourselves out there, brag about our accomplishments, and almost make ourselves appear to be as cool and as hip as we think we are. And we, we have this society that tells us, brag and boast about you. But this verse goes against that completely. Brag and boast about our weaknesses. And not so people feel sorry for us, but, but so that the power of Christ can work through us. So the power of Christ can be seen in our actions and the way we talk and the way that we obey God. So that Jesus can be seen in all things. That is a life of humility. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Got to tell you, you, know, you don't want to put too much confidence in your obedience. Because uh, daily you're to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You would be better to tell your neighbors that you are a sinner who is forgiven by the shed blood of Christ and point them to the righteous one, the one who is sinless and spotless, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and point them to Jesus and his obedience for them on their behalf, right? You'd be better to do that than to point people to your obedience, because if you point people to your obedience, 
they're just going to take out their microscope and wait for, well, they probably won't even take a microscope. They just sit there and look at you. It won't take long for them to say, whoop, yeah, you're not very obedient. Some Christian you are. A lot of times, though, I think we, we truly put too much confidence in ourselves, in ourselves and our abilities and what we are able to do. I remember this one time, um, I was 16 years old, and a good friend of mine was having her sweet 16th birthday party. And it was one of those parties where, like, you know, the coolest of the cool kids were going to be there. So me and my friends, we got this cool plan to try to crash it. We wanted to show up and be like, what's up, everybody? We're not invited, but here we are anyway. So we're at this party. We finally show up. And, um, you know, all these people are having a good time. It's a huge party. And I look, and there's this girl that I really, really like. And she just happened to be at the same party I'm at. And I'm looking, and, and it's her, and it's me, and I'm scared. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Doug, you are bold. You are confident. By the end of tonight, you're going to ask this girl out. Yeah, self-affirmation, Stuart Smalley slash Joel Osteen style. Okay. Get some courage, Doug. What are you thinking, man? And I'm talking to myself, you know what, Doug? You need to be cool, man. Don't do anything stupid. Don't trip over your feet. Don't spill food on your shirt. Come on, man. Be cool. In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, Doug, you better be funny, man, but not too funny because you don't want to be that guy that's like, you know, hey, everybody look at me. I'm at the party, you know. Be funny, but, but not too funny. So all night... Over and over in my head, Doug, be confident, man. Be bold. Be, be cool. Be funny, but not too funny. Doug, you got this. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn, people like me. And I was looking for the perfect opportunity to ask this girl out that I truly liked. And by the end of the night, I didn't really find that opportunity yet, but we're all in the living room having a good time. And there's like 30 people sitting on this couch watching a movie. And one of, the, one of her friends gets up and goes and grabs a drink. And I'm like, I'm going to steal that person's seat, sit next to that girl, and that's my opportunity. So I run, I jump in that empty seat, and we start talking, and things are great, you know? And the whole time we're talking, Doug, be cool, man. Be funny, but not too funny. You can do this. And sure enough, I'm waiting for that perfect chance to say, look, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And I'm on that couch, and I'm thinking, wait for the opportunity. And a friend of mine gets up and walks past us. And as he's walking past, he sees us sitting there talking. And he points at us, and he says, hey, you two would make a great couple. And I'm thinking to myself, this is it. This is the chance. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been cool and funny all night about, Doug. Take this opportunity. Take this chance. And I'm sitting there. Do it, okay? Do it, Doug. You're cool. You're funny. You're confident. So I, I'm sitting next to her on the couch. And literally, I put my arm around her right after he says, you two would make a great couple. I put my arm around her. In my mind, as a 16-year-old, this is smooth, okay? What's happening right here? I put my arm around her, and I look at her. And she's literally, there's like 30 people on this couch. She's sitting right next to me. I look at her face and I said, yeah. We would make a great couple. In my mind, I just asked her out. She had no idea, you know? Do you like me? Check yes or no. That's what I just did. Yeah, we would make a great couple. And she looks at me, and literally, she's like inches away from my face. She didn't want to be. She's just so close on the couch. She's looking at me, and she says, I already have a boyfriend, and I don't think he'd appreciate your arm being around me. So I did one of these things. Like, boop. I did that. I got up off the couch and I scooted away because I wanted to be as far away from that couch as I could. I wanted to get away. And I realized that in that moment I had put so much confidence in myself that I had been blinded by pride. I thought I was a rock star and I was not a rock star. I thought I was cool but I was not cool. I thought I was funny and I was only mildly funny. You know, I thought I was all that but I wasn't. And this is what happens when we place confidence in ourselves, it leads to arrogance. And arrogance leads to pride, which is dangerous. Steve. Okay. Um, yeah, that's great. That's a sin, too. Um, 
You might want to mention the shed blood of Christ on the cross for that, you know? Even Furtick in the book Sun Stands Still, he says this. Oh, no. Really? Hang on a second here. He did not just do that. He did. Hang on. Funny. You know, I thought I was all that, but I wasn't. And this is what happens. When we place confidence in ourselves, it leads to arrogance. And arrogance leads to pride, which is dangerous. Stephen Furtick, in the book Sun Stands Still, he says this. Obviously, praying audacious prayers and walking in bold faith takes confidence. But healthy confidence is born out of genuine humility. The two must work in tandem. Confidence without humility is arrogance. Humility without confidence is weakness. Confidence and humility are both biblical, and they're equally essential for a life of true faith. And I want to... Now, I want to point something out here. I counted up the sentences here. He's officially quoted more sentences from Stephen Furtick than he has from the Bible. Just want to make that clear. Look at that, okay? What does it truly mean to be humble yet confident, to have both working in our life at the same time? Uh, by the way, Sun Stands Still, not a book of the Bible. Stephen Furtick is not one of the apostles. Regardless of what Perry Noble said at the Code Orange Revival, Stephen Furtick is not the one who the prophets were waiting to see. Is that possible? What does a life of humility even look like? Boast about our weaknesses so God can be seen in that. A lot of times when we read God's word, we see great examples of men and women who live these humble lives, and they're serving God, they're glorifying God. And we pick up the story of John the Baptist in John chapter 3. And now John, he's baptizing people, right? Um, okay, so now we're going to hopscotch to John chapter 3. Got it? Um, so apparently, Philippians 4.13, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and the story of John the Baptist all have something in common. Not sure what yet. Um, I haven't even gotten this far in the sermon, so I'm I'm waiting like you are. Um, this is a Captain America sermon, right? What was the point of the Captain America theme again? I'm not sure. He's got his followers there, his students, and they're all baptizing. They're having a great time. But Jesus is also baptizing close by. And his students see that Jesus is baptizing more people than John is. And his students come up to him. They're like, yo, John, man, that dude over there, the one that you call the Messiah, he's baptizing more people than you are. What are you going to do about it, man? Look, look, he's more popular than you, John. What's going on? We need to do something to fix this. We need to get some of those people to come over here so that you can baptize them and we can beat Jesus. I can see his students with this, like, this um, competitive mindset. We got to beat that guy over there, right? He's got more people than we do. This is He hasn't actually read from John 3. He's just summarizing the story um, using, well... Juvenile license, if you would. Tell John replies, though. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves... All right, so this is John chapter 3, verses 27 through 30. And with these verses, now we've quoted more of the Bible than we have Stephen Furtick. So I, I feel a little bit better now, but... How plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare, to prepare the way for him. It is the, or it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. I want us to look at that, okay? When was the last time we were filled with joy over something great God was doing? When was the last time you opened up God's word and you read a verse that just impacted your life? And the first thing you could think of was, I want to go tell somebody. I want to go let somebody know what God is doing in my life. How often do we truly get excited about 
Yep, this guy's uh, well-versed in narcissistic eisegesis. What God is doing, instead of our own accomplishments, John right here is saying, I'm excited about what God is doing. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. He finishes up on that last verse. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Yeah, Doug, I think you should take that advice. I think you should really magnify Jesus by preaching a lot about him right now. Just just keep going here in the Gospel of John. Tell me a whole bunch about Jesus. Make him big, and let's hear less about you. I've learned more about your life than I have about Jesus. I mean, that whole 16-year-old awkward you know, moment thing. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm trying to find a way to get that out of my mind. Maybe you can make Jesus bigger than you by preaching about Jesus. That is a life of humility, to become less and less so that Jesus can be seen more and more. And the way that we speak, how often do our, do our words look less and less like something we would say and more and more like something that God is speaking through us? How- oh, boy. Ah, uh, yeah, God's speaking through us, some Blackaby style. What about our actions? How often do our actions look less and less like selfishness and more and more like obedience to the God who is calling us to... Yeah, so far this sermon that you're preaching is an example of selfishness and disobedience. Yeah, you're not being obedient. You're not rightly handling God's word. Follow him. In our faith, how often does our faith look less and less like, I'm afraid I'm not going to step out, and more and more bold in stepping out in what God is doing. We are called to be less and less so that Jesus can be seen more and more in our actions, so that we can be the light in the darkness, so we can be the example to a generation, a culture that does not know Jesus. This is all law. No gospel here. You, oh, man, dude. Um, yeah, really serious. Um. Focus on Christ. Really do that because if you placard him as the savior of sinners and you being somebody in need of his saving, you're going to go a lot farther as far as setting an example than setting yourself up for the fall that you're setting yourself up for here. Um, that is our calling to be less and less so that our friends, our family, our coworkers, everybody outside this building can see Jesus in our lives more and more yeah preach him tell tell us what the bible says about him yeah i'm not hearing a lot of jesus in this sermon dude you're not setting a good example here that is what we're called to do that is what we need to do live a humble life so that it's not us it's not look how awesome how all how cool how pretty i am it's look how awesome how loving how gracious god is yeah look how humble i am that's a humble life we're called to do that less and less so that god could be seen more and more. Philippians 4.13, if we look at this again now, instead of just a verse that's good for ball teams to hit home runs, we can look at this and say, I can do anything. I can do everything through Christ. And that's the humble part, through Jesus who gives me strength. It's not my own strength. In fact, it's the strength from Jesus. That's humbling. It's not my own abilities. It's God working through me. It's not my own techniques. It's God. It's not my faith in myself, but it's my faith in Jesus. I love this verse, and it's something that we can rely on. Uh, what are you trusting Jesus for exactly? Again, I'm not sure. You say you trust him and you have faith in him. What do you, for what? On a continual basis, we can really and truly trust in this verse to give us confidence. And a lot of times, if we place our confidence in ourselves, it's going to lead to pride. It's going to cause us to fall. Our confidence needs to be placed in something, though. Remember, humility without confidence is weakness. 
Our confidence belongs somewhere. Yeah, again, that's the point that you made that wasn't actually from a biblical passage. Yes. And it's placed in Christ. I want you guys to check out this video that perfectly illustrates this. All right, now he's cutting to a video. Now, don't get excited. He's, this is not a Captain America video. It's, you know, one of these role play type things. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. You. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Right, well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus. I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you gonna catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. <laughs> yes, I do trust you. I'm gonna fall okay. back. Oh, okay. <laughs> great. Uh, okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted, all right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. <laughs> Good. Ah! Oh, Jesus, you really caught me. I didn't think you were going to get me, but you did. Oh, that was great. That was great. You're ready for level two. Level two, here yes. I come, baby. Woo! No. Whoa. Okay, hold it. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. Ah, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh. Okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Oh, forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes. The okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> Especially when you do it. Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus. I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. I won't. Yeah, pack your bags. We are going on a guilt trip now. I don't know what this has to do with the Bible or Captain America. This guy's kind of falling short on two counts now. Not that preaching a Captain America sermon would score any points with me, but you understand what I'm saying. Words there, a little humbling, isn't it? I think a lot of times when God is calling us to step out in faith, our first reaction is to say, not real comfortable with that, Jesus. You know, it looks kind of scary out there. I'm not real sure where you're leading me. And uh, when does Jesus ask me to step out in faith again? What verse is that from? We say, I won't. And we turn away from that, that awesome chance to serve and glorify God. Our confidence is not in ourselves. In, instead, it's placed in Jesus. And the next point I have in your notes there is this. Our confidence is in the redemptive work of Christ. It's not in us. It's not in our own abilities. But it's in Jesus working through us. In uh, redemptive work of Jesus would refer to the work he did on the cross. Jesus saving us from our sins and then growing us and making us more and more like him every single day. 
the re- you're kind of rolling up justification and sanctification into the same thing, and you need to keep them separate. Redemptive work of Christ. And I got this verse here, Romans 5, 6, and 7. It says this, when we were utterly helpless, and I love that, utterly helpless. Like- okay, now, here comes the gospel, okay? And it's from a text. Well, I got to give him props for that. We could not do this on our own. This could only come from Jesus. It's almost like Captain America, before he was super strong, he was utterly helpless. And while we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Okay, now that's the full-bone gospel. It's not even a nugget. It's it's a point. It's an actual point in the sermon. All right, I'll give him props for that. If right now, if you want to take this step of faith and start following Jesus, maybe you've never done this. You've never placed your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. This verse right here is telling you that Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner, while you were helpless. Jesus sacrificed himself for you. If you want to make that decision today and follow him, let uh. Um, this verse doesn't say anything about making a decision. Remember uh, the sermon from yesterday. I chose you. You didn't choose me. Let your confidence be in him. It's no longer in your own ability. You know you can't do it by yourself. We know that we are weak and sin is in our life and we can't get rid of sin by ourselves. That can only come from Christ. Know that we can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it at all. We're dead in trespasses and sins. While we were helpless... Right. Helpless means helpless. Jesus died for us and made a way for us to to start this relationship with him. Stop trying to throw your theology in there because your theology is actually mucking up what the text says. You know, right now, there's somebody in here that, that has not yet made this step, has not stepped out in faith and became a follower of Christ. I want you to make that decision today. If God is tugging at your heart, he's leading you in this direction, he's telling you right now, look, Doug is talking about you. You need to make this decision. You need to become a follower of me. <sighs> Pelagianism really bothers me because it's a heresy. At the very end of the message tonight, we have a next step for you. Or tonight, I'm so used to four real be on Sunday nights. We, today, we have a next step for you. And it's this, to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. While we were helpless, God showed his great love for us by dying on the cross. Some of you today, you need to step out in faith and let that be your first confident move towards God. You might want to actually preach the law so that they understand that they're sinners in need of a savior. So that when you preach the gospel, there's a real connection there. You're saying, yeah, hey, if, if Jesus is tugging on your heart tonight, if Jesus is tugging on your heart, then you need to take that next step. Um, <clears throat> remember the passage said that, you know, he died for us in that while we were yet sinners. Preach the law in such a way that every single person there realizes that they've transgressed God's law and are in need of a savior. And um, the Holy Spirit will be doing more than just tugging on their hearts. You you understand what I'm saying? So we, we can remind ourselves this too. And I know for me, I had to constantly remind myself this, that God loves me, that, that I have a purpose here. He died for me, not just to save me from eternity, but so that I can experience his love here on earth as well. God is calling us to this high standard. Yeah, why, why are these guys always try, taking shots 
at eternity. And not just for eternity, but so that I can experience him here. And it's like you keep shoving your theology into the sermon. You Let the biblical text do its work. He loves us. He died on the cross for us. It's something that I constantly remind myself because I need assurance sometimes. I need this, this assurance of um, stability, this assurance of confidence. I remember this one time I was parasailing on vacation with my family. We, we go to Outer Banks all the time. And um, I'm with my family, and I was young. I was like probably 16, so I think this happened right after the party where I got denied by that girl. A little um, end cap to that story, though. That girl, I ended up seeing her in college at Liberty, and I ended up getting married to her. So, yeah, that was Rachel. So if you see Rachel on the way out, say, seriously, you said no to him the first time? Come on. He's such a cool guy. So, yeah, so I'm parasailing in Nags Head. I'm young. Me and Uncle Nick, we wanted to go out there and do something crazy. And if you've never been parasailing before. Another story about himself. Um, yeah, you're supposed to tell us about Jesus. They pretty much strap you into this harness, okay? They tie you to a giant parachute, and they tow you behind a speedboat, okay? And you can tell them how high you want to go. We got, like, one of the cheapest um, packs you could get. It's, like, 1,200 feet up in the air. And it's, like, one of the, the lower ones. They're like, do you want to go, like, a million feet in the air? No. 1,200, please. So we get in this parachute thing. They get us all strapped in, and we're all good to go. We're about to have a good time, and the speedboat takes off, and it's pulling us up in the air. And we got up to, like, 1,200 feet, and it's beautiful. You can see like the sand dunes, you can see like the, the restaurants, and we're like, we want to eat there tonight, that looks really good, and then parking looks good, so let's go there. You know, you can see the ocean, and it's looking pretty, and the water's weird, because when you're that high up, it looks the same. You know, you're like, what? Oh no, it's way down there, okay, never mind. And the boat, though, the boat was like that big. That's how we knew how high we were. The boat is literally that big, like going in front of us. Wow, we're pretty high up in the air. That's crazy far away. And we're 1,200 feet up in the air. And I'm like, you know what? I need to do a safety check on this harness. This doesn't look too safe to me. I just want to make sure I'm not going to fall. I'm 1,200 feet in the air. I can't really swim that well. And, you know, so I start looking at this harness. I'm like pulling it and like, yep, yeah, looks secure, good. And I look at my Uncle Nick and he's like significantly higher in his harness than I am. He's up there. He's just kind of sitting there like, yeah, this is awesome. How you doing, Doug? And I'm like hanging there. Like, something's not quite right. Something's not the same here. And we realized very quickly that my waist strap was not done. And I was not in the seat that was attached to that waist strap. My Uncle Nick, he strapped in a harness, a waist strap, and a nice little comfortable seat. I'm hanging there. <laughs> and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm panicking, okay? In my mind, I'm like, if I lift my hands up and go, yay, I'm having a good time, I'm falling to my death, okay? I'm not moving. In my mind, I'm thinking, arms down, locked in place, I'm not moving. I'm not waving at family. I'm not clapping my hands. I'm not doing anything. And I was terrified. I didn't want to fall and die. So me and my Uncle Nick, we devised this very cool scheme where I grab him to the harness, I pull myself up, and he put the seat underneath my butt where I was comfortable and safe and secure, and I felt confident in my harness. And we had a great trip. The rest of the experience was fun. I saw the restaurants. I saw the beach. It was great. But you know what? How often do we do that with God? You know, we're serving God, we're following Him, and everything is going good until a problem arises, and we say, whoa, God, my confidence was in you, but man, that looks kind of scary. I'm a little bit iffy about where you're leading me, God. I'm just going to know God, and we turn around, and we walk away from that awesome experience that He is calling us to. I think we do that all the time. The second that we place... We walk away from an awesome experience. What are you talking about?
confidence in ourselves instead of God, fear creeps up and it's going to lead us away from where he's, he's wanting us to go, where he's wanting us to walk, where he's wanting us to reach out and share our faith. And uh, Where is he wanting us to go? How am I supposed to figure this out? Believe me when I say this, okay? If we place our confidence in ourselves instead of God, we will walk away from every big step of faith God is calling us to. Every time he calls us to share our faith in our, in our workplace or with our friends and family, if we place our faith in ourselves, we're going to fail. You know, we're not going to do as good as we could. We can only go as far as our abilities take us. But God wants to work through us and do things far greater than we could ever do ourselves. Our confidence cannot be in ourselves. It has to be placed in God. And this is something we have to constantly remind ourselves. Just like I told you, we have to remind ourselves about the sacrifice Jesus made for us. He died on the cross for us while we were still sinners. In the same way, we have to confidently remind ourselves about how awesome, how big, how great, how all-loving God truly is. I have a place in your notes, okay? It actually says, remind myself. And um, this is a place where I want you to jot down three verses I'm going to share with you. These are verses that I use all the time in my life when I'm doing ministry, when I'm reaching out, when I'm speaking to students. I constantly remind myself about what God is doing in my life because it's real easy to get discouraged. It's real easy to allow the world to tell you you're not good enough. You can't do this. But we know that God wants to work through us. The first verse I want you to write down is this, Romans 8, 1 and 2. It says here, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is yeah, the, another gospel text. I, again, props for that. Um, but if you do what you just did in the, uh, in the, with the previous verse, you're going to end up undoing this passage with your, because you're not exegeting it. You're just reading it and then making your point rather than the point the text makes. This is a great verse for us and a confidence builder. We know that, that if we are in Christ, if right now you are a follower of Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. There's no reason for us to carry that guilt of sin in our previous life, our, our sin nature. There's no reason to be ashamed of, of where we came from because God has freed us from that sin. He calls us to not carry that baggage anymore and instead to follow after him, live in his grace and his forgiveness and remind ourselves daily that there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He has freed us from sin, and we're called to, to walk with him and stop turning back to our previous way of life. Romans 8, 1 and 2. The next verse I have for you, Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. It says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I love that. Some translations say don't be anxious about anything or don't fear anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. I mean, if, if that's not a confidence builder for you, I don't know what is. Don't worry about anything. Why do we worry about so much in our life? Why do we allow fear to creep up and tell us? So, so what's all this confidence building stuff? What am I supposed to have confidence in again? how to follow God. Don't let fear show you where to go. Allow God to show you where to go. Instead of worrying about those situations, lift them up to God and pray out and cry out to him. Say, God, save me from this problem. Help me overcome this obstacle. Show me where you're leading me and have that joy and that peace that comes from praying and understanding God's will in your life. The third verse I have for you, Ephesians 2.10. It says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we... Yeah, Ephesians 2.10. This is just irksome. Uh, it's a, oh, man. 
Ephesians chapter 2 has this great stuff in there about salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And it bothers me when somebody quotes Ephesians 2.10 out of context because the preceding verses have to go along with it. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not our own doing. It is the work of God. For we are, it is the gift of God. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. <sighs> he can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece. He is working in our life. He is making us more and more like him every single day. And this is awesome because it says here that he has created us anew. We are a new creation. The old sin nature has gone, and behold, the new nature has come. The living spirit that lives inside of us. Uh, yeah, no, uh, we still have to wrestle with the flesh. Read Romans 7. Yes, we are a new creation, so we are simul justus et peccator. We are simultaneously justified, declared righteous, and still have our sinful flesh to contend with. Until we die or Christ returns, whichever comes first. Is, is leading us closer to God, changing us every single day so that we can look more like him and so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Sharing your faith at work, he has planned that for us long ago. Have your confidence be in him and not yourself. You know, fixing like problems in your marriage, he wants us to, to live in harmony with one another, to show love, to serve the other person. You know, we know that's his good work and we can't do it on our own. We have to rely on his strength. There's so many problems that we face in life and all the time we, we rely on ourselves when we should be playing. Yeah, you keep making Jesus sound like a life coach, you know? Placing our faith and our trust in God to help us through these things. So those verses, I want you to write them down. I want you to remind yourself these things. Even this week, wake up and remind yourself about how awesome God is in your life. What is God doing in your life? How is he leading you to follow him in a deeper relationship? And I think somebody right now, um, a group of, of people right now that really and truly need that are our college students. Um, we have a, hopefully we have some college students in here today. Uh, if you're going to college for the first time, or maybe you're going back to college for year two, three, or four, or five, or six, seven or eight. What I want you to do, okay, if you're going to college in the next couple of weeks, I want you to stand up for me and, and remain standing. I, I see a whole row right there. Come on, stand on up, guys. Woo! Give it up for our college students. Not sure what college students have to do with preaching the Bible. But... So remain standing. I didn't say sit down. Get back up. What I want us to do, I want to pray for our college students because anybody who's been to college knows how difficult it is in that environment. Your faith will be constantly tested, even at Liberty. Some of our students are going to Liberty. Um, it's a college campus, but at the same time, there's still temptation. There's still, you know, sin trying to lead you away. At college, we are constantly tempted and tested, and it's good because our faith will become stronger because of it. And I want us to pray for our college students right now, those who are going back to college, and pray that God will just surround them with love and encouragement and help them to stay strong and faithful in this time. So I'm going to pray, but if you could, if you're around a college student... Apparently we we're now done if you could just like put your hand on their shoulder you know let them know you care about them and we're going to pray for these college students real quick all right just everybody if you could i want to make sure everybody's prayed for real quick so if somebody's around you place your hand on their shoulder and let's pray these these people up real quick okay we're not gonna sit through the prayer um so the captain america portion of the sermon was just playing the movie trailer and then him coming up with his own points and then proof texting it. 
We did hear some texts that had the gospel in it. I mean, kind of a rare deal, that's for sure. But then he turns around and his theology got in the way because he tried to make points, theological points, that those texts just didn't make. So it was kind of convoluted. But there you go, the first movie sermon of the uh, season, of the movie preaching season on Captain America. Okay. So... What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me, my friend, on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.